0: Today we discuss why content marketing, as it's widely known, is, in my view, a meaningless concept. And you'll find out more about how the solution which I found, called intelligent content marketing, is actually what the game is all about. You'll find out about the science of persuasion as well as tips on how to design your service proposition in a way that reverses the risk for your customer while opening the door to build a relationship based on trust and authenticity
1: you're listening to digital bacon fm yes pilot with magic taking us back to the 70s talking about magic the marketing maestro stephen barnes on the line all the way from hong kong good
0: morning A very good afternoon to you, Mr. Black.
1: Yes, we do have six hours between us and 20 years in technology, I'm afraid.
0: Uh, And formal education, too, if
1: (laughs) I'm not. Uh, Now we're talking about the differences between us. Oh, yeah, the benefits thereof, indeed. Yes, today, an interesting subject. You are going to take content marketing and turn it on its head.
0: Uh, Well, you might say that, I suppose. Um, Well, when
1: one says it's a fallacy, it's a terrifying statement.
0: Well, okay, so the thing is this, right? Um, with the advent of the connection economy, um, the world's marketeers came to understand that uh, industrial economy marketing no longer works properly. So uh, there was uh, a very clever guy in the US called Joe Palluzzi, who I've got a, the utmost respect for, um, essentially came to the conclusion that you could use, let's say, content, so to speak, as a tool or a technique publishing on the internet to, in a sense, create new relationships and then generate sales. Mm. Um, And out of that essential idea uh, sprung the well, the whole sort of future of marketing, as it were, according to you know, Joe Pellucci and um, the other um, emerging thought leaders in this space uh, from, um, what, 10, 15 years ago, uh, basically, I'd no putting forward the notion that uh, you could publish a piece of content, stick it on the internet, find some way to attract somebody to that uh, piece of content, that would then form the genesis of a, of a relationship, uh, and then you could go on to expect to have uh, some sort of commercial dealings with that party. That That was the concept. Now, the problem with the whole idea of content marketing, as it's now sort of come to be understood all these years later, is that really there's no common definition of the word content, uh, and there's certainly no value to the phrase content marketing. If you look at the uh, well-understood definition of marketing put forward by uh, a gentleman called Philip Kotler, who um, is renowned as being, you know, the world's foremost marketing expert he's a professor professor in this stuff at chicago university i believe uh, and he's written a book he wrote a, book a long time ago called Con- "Cutler on marketing and that became the sort of the bible of marketing even before the notion of so-called content marketing became a twinkle in joe pulitz's eye um so now then understanding that if you take a good look at the word content and then good look good look at the word marketing uh, and to do that you should you know, perhaps look at the Wikipedia definition of content, because that's the most democratic version of, uh, of a definition for something like content that I think you could reasonably expect to sort of draw down on for the purposes of, of my argument at least. When you look at the word content as defined, you come to understand that actually it doesn't mean anything. The word content as defined essentially encapsulates every possible form of communication media that could possibly exist on planet Earth. So when you, um, when you have conversations with so-called content marketeers and they say, I'm a content marketeer, um, when you seek to understand what they're talking about in terms of the word content, you realize that, that actually they're not talking about anything specific that you can put your finger on to then at least have a conversation with them on equal terms. Um, by the same token, if you look at uh, Philip Kotler's definition of the word marketing um, and then stick the word content in front of it, uh, the word content adds no value whatsoever to the notion of marketing. So you take a step back and then you think, well, okay, what does this thing content marketing actually mean? Well, you know, the eye of the uh, well beautys in the eye of the beholder. Um, essentially, if you're doing something with so-called content and you believe that you're using it for marketing purposes, you're going to call it content marketing. Hmm. But are you actually advertising, for example, or are you um, are you, you know, basically fishing for relationships because of some you know incredible offer that you're putting out there or, you know, there's just so many opportunities to uh, have a mismatched conversation with so-called content marketeers if you're trying to define what content marketing actually is. So I, I think the real problem with the word content marketing is that there's no commonly understood definition of it. And then you take a step away from you know the, the, the lack of a common definition and you look at the fact that after about 15 years now, um, this notion of content marketing, so to speak, um, you know, it's been out there in the public domain and SMEs and well-established companies are all trying this thing called content marketing. But, but, but there has been no, you know, major league shift from the way that businesses have always marketed to this thing called content marketing um, because essentially it doesn't work. The
1: do, do essential
0: you th- idea of content marketing doesn't work. So what you have to do is you've got to come up with something a little bit more profound than that. And you're going to come up with, as I've couched it, intelligent content marketing. The difference between so called.
1: uh, I was going to say, all you've really done is put an adjective. Does it take somebody down the road of actually understanding what it is, though?
0: Well, it does, exactly. And intelligent content marketing is fully defined. Intelligent content marketing anticipates that what you're going to do is understand that the world has changed. We no longer live in an industrial economy, we live in a connection economy. We've got ubiquitous connectivity. Um, It means that you can now take uh, any kind of service business, for example, you can do an assessment of what your customer the purchaser of that particular service is looking for what they're trying to achieve what they what they're afraid of in in choosing a vendor and what the outcomes are uh, they're expecting to get from you know someone who is going to be providing a service like that and and then using the credentials of the service provider to de-risk the proposition for you and the decision that you make as a customer as to whether or not you're going to transact with that service provider what you can do is you can put yourself When you're designing your service proposition right at the heart of the customer's needs and the anticipated experience that awaits them. You can design a service proposition that that kind of re-engineer or or I should say engineers out all of the fears and concerns that they may have in transacting with the provider of that service. And then in, in building a business model that the results from that analysis around the, uh, the, the customer and their fears and wants and needs and the like. Um, and then you inject into that the idea that you're going to educate them. So you're gonna have a high quality content platform and this is where your content starts to come in. And your high quality content platform is designed therefore to help that person answer questions and self, solve problems that are leading him to um, have a, a desire or a need to acquire a service from another provider in the first place and then in building your business model, take it onto the next step beyond that and say, well, okay, what can I do to reverse the risk in this relationship as a service provider? So inject a, an, say an irresistible offer into um, into that so service proposition and then anticipate again, the, serv- the customer is going to be very concerned that he's um, making the right choice of um, uh, provider to to solve, help him solve that problem. So uh, in that regard, you set up uh, the science of persuasion in your proposition, and the science of persuasion is concepts that came from um, uh, an author of a book of the same name, who essentially identified that you know, human beings uh, have got uh, um, live in a complex world, and it's very difficult for them to make decisions based on logic so what they do is they look for shortcuts around them to determine whether it's whether or not it's risky for them to transact with the service provider and in that case this is where uh, one of the secrets of the science of persuasion which is social proof comes in so you gather uh, say testimonials and references from other customers and you include that in your publishing activity so you've got sort of that sort of content Um, and then you've got uh, disruptive service design that you would uh, you would Uh, put together because you've got the ability to do so uh, because you're a publishing concern in the connection economy Mm -hmm. uh, and that means that you've got another element to your business model so essentially what you do is you go through an exercise of of, of designing a service model around the idea of answering questions and solving problems through a content proposition and when designing your content proposition further on beyond that you then look to Use content as your sort of uh, strategic messaging into the customer at the very last moment, which which gives them everything that they need to make you know a comfortable decision. That uh, even though they know that you know what you're good, they know that you're good at what you do because you've published content that, that clearly um, confirms yeah. that you're capable and good at what you do. Uh, but when it comes to actually then offering a service on the back of that, having created a relationship through those publishing activities. You use content to strategically deliver the final messaging of your sophisticated uh, connection economy business model. And all of those elements, including stuff that we've discussed in the past, like, as I may have said, an irresistible offer, reversal of risk, uh, an idea virus, all the good stuff that, you know. You know, Seth Golding talks about which is making a remarkable proposition. Uh, that is a purple cow, knowing that if you're going to try and command people's attention in the connection economy, you have to be remarkable. And where you've got a scenario where essentially information is free, it's 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 got you know, zero cost to produce once it's once it's uh, put out onto the internet and it's shared widely. Essentially, what you've got to be able to do is to take all of the elements of an intelligent content marketing strategy, as I've defined it, and use content uh, to deliver, I say, both the educational dimension to your proposition and also your strategic service proposition dimension to your proposition. That way, you can use so-called content in an intelligent way for the purposes of marketing. Hence the idea virus, intelligent content marketing. And that's the difference, Jason, in my <laughs> view, between intelligent content marketing and mere content marketing.
1: All wrapped up in the beautiful thing called emotion. And,
0: uh, well, uh, if you understand yeah. your customer very well, you can, you can speak to that, can't you?
1: Yeah. Now, as a, as a man who lacks the benefit of a formal education, <laughs> let's, let's break it down. And 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 go and yeah. go through the history of advertising and marketing. First, there was advertising selling products, company, to a mass population via the media. After that came the internet and the ability to send emails to people and direct marketing, be it putting pamphlets in post boxes or emails to somebody's inbox. After that came the creation of platforms and the creation of content to get it or to gather a tribe around you who subscribe to that content. Correct. Now what you say. Yeah, in is- broad
0: terms, that, that's right. You've got the seven the seven there's, there's a book by um, not not Joe Pelusi, but by Robert Rose, who was his partner in crime. And I say that in you know in the politest way possible. Hmm. Um, uh, he wrote a book called Experiences: The Seventh Era of Marketing, and he laid out the first year of marketing through to the seventh era, seventh era of marketing, which he says is is, is experiences, and he's, he's right in that regard. Prior to that, there were there were other uh, marketing. There was the era of uh, of um, uh, of, uh, of connections which came out through Facebook and the like, and then prior to that you had the marketing company era, which is where Coca Cola really came to the fore, and mm. where uh, Shell—you remember the tiger in your tank? You remember that—that's yep. campaign that they had in the sixties and seventies. Was it SO, you know, S-O where, or Shell? Uh, where they had to uh, uh or Shell? I can't yeah. remember which one. But but the tiger in your tank, and then prior to that you had things like the Mad Men the Mad Men era, mm. and prior to that you had the uh, the the, the um, uh, uh, what do you call it? The uh, the factory, the era of the, the, the marketing around the factory era, where you could actually get cheap products for the first time. You know, produced on mass, and uh, and the the marketers of that age were marketing or, or, or selling the products using the marketing contention that, Hey, we've now got a factory. And so, you know, we can supply you cheaply and efficiently and, and all that kind of good stuff. So, mm. so there's actually seven years, seven years of marketing and the uh, experiences being, being the most, uh, well, the current one, so to speak. Mm. So yeah, that, that, that's, that's definitely occurred. There has been different marketing techniques down the, down the, down the, history of, of, uh, of the industrial economy, but now we're in the connection economy and it's all changed again. Mm. And my, my contention is that uh, there, there are, there's going to be the invention of gazillions of new business models that emerge as a result of the connection economy. Uh, and one of those business models, I believe, will, um, will be intelligent content marketing uh, mm. rather than this thing called uh, mere content marketing.
1: Now, you, you have a, a, a finger on the pulse of what happens in the tech world and all of that sort of stuff. So the latest news, of course, Amazon taking a pasting Um, and uh, the movement of, let's leave, uh, sorry, not Amazon, Facebook, sorry. Uh, Everybody leaving Facebook, uh, the movement getting stronger and stronger. Uh, I know that you have met on uh, previous occasions people that were involved with Spotify from the very beginning, and they also, being a disruptive uh, player in the market, have now uh, launched uh, on the exchange and again did it in a disruptive way, saying, all of the usual banks can go and bugger off, we're going to do this a different way. Um, Do you think that's uh, the way of the future for all companies coming up?
0: Well, I mean, Facebook and Spotify are two, two different propositions, right? Because Spotify are mm. the music streamers, sure. and uh, one of my clients was a co-founder of that business and has done very well out of it. Mm. Uh, Facebook, on the other hand, they've, they've always traded off, uh, off people's data, and, uh, and that's like how they've come afoot, uh, come, a, come, come a cropper, I should say. Mm. Um, but, but indeed, there's going to be different business models depending on you know, new uh, commercial opportunities that present themselves in a disruptive fashion by very smart people who operate in particular niches, or have an acute understanding of certain technologies that can be applied in niches. Um, And each of those individual sort of initiatives will represent uh, um, new business models that that, that will fall into play uh, through the connection economy. The interesting thing about it though, is that given the centralizing nature of the internet, um, if you are first to market with a, a new proposition, uh, and a new business model, uh, providing a service uh, or, or, or some other commercial um, uh, activity via the web, using the um, realities afforded through the, you know, the, the connection economy dimension. There, there's going to be plenty, plenty, plenty of other um, uh, new, new business models that emerge that will eventually go on, I believe, to, to, to drive to monopoly. Mm. Because uh, the, the nature of the internet, if you do it in the right way, uh, will allow you to achieve pseudo-monopoly status in due course. And, and, and if you think about that, that, that uh, the world has sort of proven itself to be that way. Um, Uber have met uh, competition in a variety of different markets, you know, with, with Lyft uh, mm. in, um, in the U.S. particularly, yeah. Grab in Southeast Asia. Uh, so there are monopolies available, whether they're global monopolies like Facebook, or whether they become regional monopolies or indeed uh, you know, national monopolies, it just really depends on each opportunity as they emerge. But I believe the nature of the connection economy means that uh, in large part, the potential for monopoly uh, is, is there for anyone who comes along with a, a really compelling and disruptive proposition.
1: Now we've spoken we've spoken at length about your intellectual heroes, Kel- Kelly in particular and a few others. Were any of them prescient with the changes that we we're experiencing with the likes of Facebook and Amazon and Spotify?
0: Kevin, yeah, absolutely Don Don Tapscott and Kevin Kelly were writing about this uh, 15, 20 years ago. Hmm.
1: So no no matter you have a faceless internet platform, it, it still means you have to operate with integrity. and if you don't, And obviously, integrity is a a human uh, trait. So uh, if you don't, you are still going to get smacked.
0: It's a global village, Jason, right? You know, if if we take human affairs and how we organize ourselves from a a labor perspective and also from a commercial perspective prior to the Industrial Revolution, you know, we we had relationships with our immediate families. We had relationships with our neighbors across the fields. Uh, and we had relationships with the people that we knew at church and uh, and in the marketplace, you know, in our local village. Mm. Uh, and that was about the shape of it, right? And so, in order for you to be a, uh, a human being of merit and worth, you know, you had to keep your nose clean, and you had to make sure that you know the relationships that you have were always the best that they could be, because you never knew when you might need you know the support of your neighbor in hard times and the like. Mm. So that meant that the human condition in in small village type environments was always one of integrity and of Uh, of of wanting to do the right thing. Mm. Uh, Then fast forward to the Industrial Revolution uh, and the Industrial Era where all that came to an end and the people came off the uh, the country, uh, off the fields, if you will, into into the cities, the new towns and cities, and uh, provided the human fodder for the industrial machine. Uh, And that was the case for 150 years or so until we got to the very sophisticated state where we are today. Uh, as we you know go from a hybrid industrial connection economy dynamic where 99% of the world um, industrial hierarchy still believes that we're operating in an industrial economy. They think that uh, uh, the connection economy is just the industrial economy with smartphones, when it's clearly it's something else again. So um, now that we are back in the village, albeit this time projected through a smartphone at the end of our arms, where you can connect with the entire world, we're now in a global village and all the original qualities that were important for, for success and survival even uh, during the agrarian era are now back upon us one more more time. Mm. It's just that this time, you know, we've got a global audience and uh, we have to keep our noses clean with everybody in the world, not just, uh, you know, people uh, within perhaps a 10 kilometer radius of us.
1: Now, if you have a look at what's happening in the States with uh, our good friend, Mr. Trump and and Jeff Bezos, Amazon, The Washington Post, etc., you can look at Amazon and say they have completely disrupted the way that we uh, shop. They've provided a huge huge amount of product they get it delivered quickly so therefore providing convenience and quite often it's actually cheaper than you'd find it anywhere else so they're also providing value do you think that there will always be a place for that and where do you stand on uh, the idea or the notion that uh, mom and pop shops that are in bricks and mortar will eventually all fail because the world has changed
0: well, retail, re- retail is just the technology of the age, right? Of the time that you live in, and so mom and pop shops and retail experiences and whatever all grew up through the the age when you needed to distribute your wares and people needed to access those wares, and there were, you know, intermediaries, middle middlemen who were prepared to. You know set up shop and we're prepared to take the risk of setting up shop and carrying stock and perhaps paying rent or or, or utilizing parts of their own property and uh, turned over to uh being able to retail other people's stuff you know retail is as i say it was a technology of the age um, mm-hmm. there's always going to be a room for retail because humans like to have a shopping experience yeah, it's tactile um, but you know i think you'll Yeah, I think you'll see that, uh, you know, the overwhelming majority of retail in due course will end up being on the web because it's the fastest and easiest way to get and cheapest way to get stuff. Mm. Uh, And, uh, uh, you know, actually going to a shop will be reserved for um, more, um, uh, you know, touchy-feely type activities, like, you know, heading off to your jewelry shop local jewellery shop with your fiancé when you've just gotten engaged you know she wants to go through the uh, experience of having you know the opportunity to uh, have rings put on her finger and be pampered and all that kind of stuff Mm. that's always going to exist Mm. but you know when you've got when you've got a situation where in a busy world like we have today and you've got technology enabling technologies that are out there to be used and provided as services like amazon that can send you what you need at you know the best prices available in the most efficient way, of, you know, possible uh, via technology, then you know that's the order of the day. It's
1: no no different, really, than um, the growth of supermarkets taking away the livelihood of butchers and bakers. At the end of the day, you know, they all made parts it more, are the, more, all
0: part of the same.
1: Yeah, made it convenient to go to are one place. All the same continuum. Yeah. Um, okay. Thanks very much, Stephen. We will catch up on air again next Friday. Digital Bacon FM.
0: I hope the importance of intelligent content marketing is clear now in your mind, so join us in the next podcast which will be about experts, just like you, and how they can monetize their expertise.